0: Uh, Well, friends, I I remember when my children were Lana's age that they would sometimes find some money in my wallet and refuse to let go. Uh, Have you ever had that experience with children? Uh, They would grab a a $2 coin or something like that and be so fascinated by it that if anyone tried to take it out of their hand, they would start to cry. Uh, However, there was a way to get the $2 coin back Can you guess what it was? Uh, Not give them $5. They wouldn't take the paper money. Uh, It would actually be to give them a 50-cent coin. Uh, For, you see, they they don't know the value of money at that age, and if they see something bigger and and brighter, uh, they'll let go uh, the more valuable thing um, to grasp at something less valuable. Uh, Of course, uh, they would never do that now because they know to hold on uh, to what is valuable. Uh, And uh, I want to suggest that as we've been looking at uh, the book of Hebrews in the Bible uh, over the last few weeks, that the consistent encouragement of this book is to hold fast to what is valuable and not swap it for something far less valuable. To hold fast to what is valuable and not give it up for Less valuable things. Uh, if you glance back um, to the passage we looked at last week, and uh, if you have a look at chapter 6, verse 18, for example, chapter 6, verse 18, uh, you'll see that it says there in verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Um, The idea of holding fast is the idea of grasping something or taking possession of something or holding onto something for dear life until the knuckles go white. What the writer is saying is hold fast to Jesus and don't let him go for less valuable things. Uh, you might remember that Hebrews was written to Christians who had come to know Jesus uh, out of Judaism or the Jewish faith. But they were tempted to let go of Jesus and go back to a life of, of Judaism because they were facing persecution uh, in their life as well as feeling fatigued in their Christian lives. Uh, they have been uh, living as Christians for many years and they were just feeling uh, fatigued in the marathon that is the Christian life. And as a result, they were getting tired and finding it increasingly difficult to trust in the heavenly realities and the invisible promise of God that had promised them a glorious future. And so uh, I wonder whether you can see the attraction of uh, a a religion like Judaism for people like this you know with its elaborate system of priests and uh, sacrifices in in a temple and uh, all the religious rituals as a way of relating to god you know when you're tired in the christian life it's tempting to go back to things that are earthly rather than heavenly it's tempting to go back to things that seem very tangible to us and immediate to us than to trust in the invisible realities that the Bible speaks about. I wonder whether you've ever felt fatigue in your Christian life. Have you ever felt tempted to let go of Jesus and God's invisible word of promise and turn to things that are earthbound and tangible, thinking that these things will bring you closer into God's presence? Uh, What Hebrews would say to you is to hold fast to Jesus, for in him we have one who is far better than anything or anyone that you can turn to. Uh, Well, you might remember, friends, that the writer of Hebrews has been speaking about the high priestly ministry of Jesus. Uh, In fact, uh, we've uh, seen uh, in previous weeks that the very heart of this letter, which uh, goes from chapter 4, verse 14, Uh, all the way to chapter 10, verse 25, is about the high priestly ministry of Jesus where the writer systematically shows us why Jesus as the high priest is simply better and more superior to anything that Judaism can offer as a way of relating to God. But uh, in the first 10 verses of our passage this morning in chapter 7, The writer of Hebrews wants to show us that Jesus has a better priesthood than the Jewish priests who, by Jewish law, had to come from the line of Levi and Aaron. Hebrews wants to show us that Jesus has a better priesthood than the Jewish priests. Uh, Now, you'll notice there that he does this, uh, firstly, by speaking about the figure of Melchizedek and uh, arguing that Melchizedek's priesthood is far superior uh, to the Levitical priesthood. But who is this Melchizedek? Um, Hands up if we've heard of Melchizedek before. Um, I think that's only half of us. Um, So many of us have never heard of Melchizedek. Uh, He's a strange character that uh, is only mentioned twice in the Old Testament. Uh, He's mentioned in Psalm 110, which uh, we've already seen quoted in Hebrews. But it's really in Genesis 14, which we read earlier, that we meet this figure of Melchizedek for the first time in the Bible. And uh, we're told in Genesis 14 that Melchizedek is both a king, being the king of a place called Salem, as well as a priest, being the priest of the Most High. Uh, But in Genesis 14, we see Melchizedek blessing the the Jewish patriarch Abraham after Abraham rescues his nephew Lot from the hands of uh, some neighbouring kings who have taken his nephew captive. Now, you may have noticed that Melchizedek is a really mysterious figure. I mean, we're not told anything about his background nor are we told much about what happened to him after his meeting with Abraham. But he simply shows up out of nowhere in Genesis 14 and then disappears just as quickly. Uh, But the really important thing to notice here is that Abraham pays tribute to Melchizedek by giving him a tenth of the spoils of war after his defeat of the kings. Uh, And uh, you can see that in verse two of our passage this morning, chapter seven, verse two, the writer of Hebrews says, And to him that is Melchizedek, Abraham apportioned the tenth part of everything. Uh, Why is this important? Well the simple point that the writer of Hebrews is making here is that the one who receives tribute is superior to the one who gives tribute. And the one who blesses is superior to the one who receives the blessing. And so, because Melchizedek receives tribute from Abraham and gives a blessing, well, he must be superior to Abraham. And what's more, uh, Melchizedek must be superior to the Levitical priests because where did the Levitical priests come from? Well, they came from Abraham. Abraham. And so, if Melchizedek is more superior to Abraham, then he must also be more superior, superior than the Levitical priests. I hope you can see the logic. Uh, you can see it there in verse 7. Uh, chapter 7, verse 7. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Uh, But friends, uh, did you notice that there are two other reasons that our writer gives as to why Melchizedek is greater than the Levitical priests? Uh, The first reason is that Melchizedek has a better name than the Levitical priests, Uh, You can see it there, halfway through verse 2, where there are two names that are associated with Melchizedek. Uh, He is firstly the king of righteousness, which which is what the name Melchizedek means in Hebrew. But he is also the king of peace, for he is the king of Salem, which means peace, and later becomes God's city of Jerusalem. And so it seems, friends, that Melchizedek is somehow connected to one who will bring peace, but one who will bring peace through his righteous acts. But secondly, uh, the second reason why the priesthood of Melchizedek is greater than the Levitical priests is that he has a better nature. For you can see it there in verse 3 that unlike the Levitical priests, who uh, died uh, one after the other, and so could not continue in their office as priests, well, Melchizedek seems to have an eternal nature that keeps on going. Uh, It says there in verse 3, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Uh, Now, friends, Because Melchizedek is explained and described in this way, uh, there has been a lot of speculation about who this Melchizedek really is in the Old Testament. Uh, Some people think, for example, that Melchizedek is Jesus himself, who who, uh, by very nature is eternal. They think that Jesus makes a cameo appearance uh, in the Old Testament. But uh, I think this misses the point a little bit. For uh, I don't think what this is saying is that Melchizedek uh, was never born and lived forever. I think that what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that he's presented in the scriptures as an eternal figure because there is nothing written about his history and nothing written about his future or what happened later in his life. Uh, you know, it's a bit like Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I've never read the novels myself, and uh, I might get this horribly wrong, so tell, tell me if, if I do. But uh, I'm told that in the novels, we are not told of his birth, uh, nor are we told of his final death, so that at least in a literary sense, uh, he seems to live on forever. Now, I know that's not a perfect illustration, because Sherlock Holmes is a fictional character, whereas uh, Melchizedek is a historical figure. But you see the point, Melchizedek is presented as someone eternal and he resembles Jesus rather than being Jesus. But uh, here's the thing. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that by receiving uh, tribute and by name and by nature, Melchizedek is far superior to the Levitical priests. And so, logically speaking, if Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, if he, is a, if he is a priest who is like Melchizedek, then he must also be far more superior to the Levitical Old Testament priests. And so why, says the writer of Hebrews, would you ever let go of Jesus and go back to Judaism, Judaism with its system of priests and ritual. Uh, now, friends, you might be sitting there wondering, uh, what's all this got to do with me? Uh, what's the cash value of uh, all this talk about uh, Levitical priests and the superiority of Jesus? But my guess is that we are often tempted also to rely on people other than Jesus to represent us before God. My guess is that uh, we are also often tempted to rely on people other than Jesus to represent us before God. Uh, Some people ask for prayers by the minister, thinking that somehow if a minister prays for them, then it will have far more value and weight before God than their own prayers. Uh, Have you ever come across... Thinking like this, uh, other people rely on their parents. Uh, I can't, uh, um, I can't tell you the number of people I've met who say that I'll be okay with God because my parents were Christian or because my parents had me baptized as a baby. Uh, other people can rely on people like. The song leader at church, Uh, some people uh, call the song leaders worship leaders at church because they think that by coming to church, they can rely on this worship leader to lead them into worship so that they can grow closer to God and draw nearer to God. Or our Roman Catholic friends may rely on people like Mary or the saints in order to represent them before God. Uh, I live in a very Roman Catholic area where there are many houses with statues of Mary in the front garden with people thinking that she will somehow be able to um, bring about a blessing from God for them. But you see, what God is saying here is that if you have Jesus, if you have him, if you have put your faith in him, then why on earth would you need to rely on anything or anyone else to represent you before God as your priest? Do you really think that that statue with the plaster chipping off and the paint peeling will do a better job of representing you before God than the Lord Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven itself as your great high priest? You see, he is far superior to any other human being or religious ritual, in bringing you to God. And so why would you let go of him? Well, friends, uh, we've seen the the writer of Hebrews arguing that the priesthood of Jesus after the order of Melchizedek is so much better than the Old Testament priesthood after the order of Levi. But in the final section of our passage this morning, I want you to see that the high priesthood of Jesus is a much-needed priesthood. The high priesthood of Jesus is a much-needed priesthood. Why is it needed? Well, it's because the Levitical priesthood was so ineffective. Uh, I think that's the point of verse 11 and verse 18, which sort of act like two bookends to this point that the writer of Hebrews wants to make. Uh, If you have a look at verse 11, he says there, verse 11... Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? And if you glance down at verse 18, uh, you'll see that it says there, verse 18, For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying the Levitical priesthood and the Old Testament law, which regulated the way people were to draw near to God or to approach God, uh, all that system uh, in the Old Testament was ineffective in making people perfect. Uh, Now, we've seen already in Hebrews, haven't we, that the word perfect doesn't mean moral perfection, but it's talking about people being able to reach their goal of salvation. And and so uh, what this is saying is that the Levitical priests were utterly ineffective in being able to save people from God's holy judgment at sin, and they were utterly unable, unable to help people draw closer and nearer to God. Why? Well, you can see there that it's because these Old Testament priests were not eternal in nature. You know, as we said, the Levitical priests died one after the other and were unable to continue in their function as priests. And further, they were only ever able to serve at the tabernacle or the temple, which was only ever a copy of the eternal heavenly reality. But the high priesthood of Jesus, says the writer of Hebrews, is different. Uh, it's a game changer, if you like. For unlike the Levitical priests, he is eternal and he is able to minister to, uh, for us, not in a man-made tent, but in heaven itself. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in verse 15, uh, This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For, his, for it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You see, friends, it's because Jesus has given himself as a perfect sacrifice for sin and has risen to life and is now ascended to heaven as our eternal high priest that he can represent you and me forever in God's presence so that we can draw near to, to God. What the Levitical priest could never do under the law, this Jesus has done for us on the basis of his eternal nature. And so he is the only one, the only one, who can help you to draw near to God. Uh, now, this, of course, is not to say that the Levitical priesthood and the Old Testament law which, uh, on which it was based was a total failure. Uh, it's not as though God you know, put in place the Levitical priesthood and uh, gave the Old Testament law to the people of Israel as a kind of plan A. But uh, when that failed, he had to send Jesus as a plan B so that he could save us. Now, what this is saying is that the Levitical priesthood and the Old Testament way of relating to God was only ever meant to be temporary. Uh, You know, it's a bit like analog television. Uh, Do you remember the analog television days? Um, Most of us will remember watching analog television. It wasn't that good. Um, When it was windy, the picture would go fuzzy. When it rained, the picture would go fuzzy when there was a bird sitting on the antenna, the picture would go fuzzy. Now, it it served its purpose for a time, but there came a day, didn't it, when it became obsolete and new technology came in and the old was phased out and the revolution of digital television with its sharp and clear and colourful images was now on the scene. Uh, That's a bit like what Hebrews is saying here. The, Levit- the Levitical priesthood served its purpose for a while in God's purpose of salvation, but in the end it was replaced by something far better in the high priesthood of Jesus, who could do what the Levitical priests could never do. For while the Levitical priest could give a fuzzy picture of how people might approach God in, in the future, it is the high priestly ministry of Jesus that gives us the only sure and clear picture of a way to draw near to God and that is through him. Now friends, uh, we've seen that the effectiveness of minist- uh, Jesus' high priestly ministry therefore is based on his eternal nature but uh, I want you to see that uh, it is also based on one more thing and that is God's promise and oath. And uh, you can see that in verse 20. Uh, of our passage where it says and it was not without an oath for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him the lord has sworn and will not change his mind you are a priest forever uh, this makes jesus the guarantor of a better covenant you see when god appoints jesus as uh, his eternal high priests It's as though God puts his right arm in the air and swears that he's telling the truth, uh, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, that this Jesus, this high priest, is the one who can draw you near to God. And so it's on the basis of Jesus' eternal nature on the one hand, and on the basis of God's invisible promise and oath that a person can be saved by God. And that's why the writer of Hebrews summarizes in verse 23 when he says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that is Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Uh, Well, friends, uh, let me finish up. We've seen this morning, haven't we, that the priesthood of Jesus is far more superior to the Levitical priesthood. We've seen that this is the case ultimately because of the ineffectiveness of the Levitical priesthood and the eternal effectiveness of Jesus through whom we can draw near to God. And so the message of Hebrews is that if you have Jesus then do not let go of him. Do not turn to other ineffective means of finding salvation, but hold fast to this high priest who draws you near to God. You know, to go back from Jesus to Judaism or any other mediator would be a little bit like a married couple leaving behind the security and the safety and intimacy of a marriage relationship And going back to dating again. Uh, I know that's not a perfect illustration because dating uh, still has good and useful functions. But why would you go back to something that is ineffective, says the writer of Hebrews, and obsolete and second best when in Jesus you have it all? Uh, We've baptized Lana this morning. It would be a tragedy if one day she thinks that she is in God's presence because she had Christian parents or Christian godparents or because a funny looking minister poured some water over her head one day. It would be a great joy to see her holding fast to Jesus because she understands that what her baptism points to is this greater reality of Jesus as her high priest. And the promise of God that all those who put their faith in this Jesus and in his death and resurrection can have the assurance that they can draw near to God. And so let's pray for Lana and let's pray for our children and let's also pray for ourselves that we might hold fast to this Jesus and not let him go for he is our great and superior and much-needed High Priest. Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is our great High Priest and the only way to draw near to you. Uh, Father, we confess that, like the Hebrew Christians, it's often tempting to turn to other people or other things or religious rituals when we are fatigued in the Christian life, for it seems easier and more tangible in drawing us near to you. But we thank you, Father, for your word that reminds us of our great high priest who has sacrificed himself for our sin and is now interceding for us in heaven where he has gone as our forerunner. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us not to let go of him Help us to hold fast to him, who is the only one who can save us to the uttermost. Help us to delight in drawing near to you through him as we pray to you and spend time with you each day. We pray this for Lana, who we have baptised today, as well as for ourselves. Help us to continue to see how wonderful is this Jesus, our great high priest, who loved us and gave himself for us and now lives to make intercession for us in heaven so that we might continue to draw near to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.